0: Okay guys, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 1, verse 16. The title of the message today is, Why 116? Why 116? Really part one of a two-part series that I'm going to preach of looking at just really the heartbeat of our church. And I'll preach the second part of this here in two more weeks. But this first one, why 116? In case people are wondering, why is your church called 116? So hopefully, I can answer that today for anybody who maybe had questions on that. You know, as I was thinking about this this morning, I thought, I am preaching my favorite verse to some of my favorite people today. So it's a good day. So 116 Bible Church is the name of our church. And just a little bit of history about it, how it came about. I didn't name it. I did not give the name to our church. Um, Good friend of mine, Jeff Rose, he planted 116 Bible Church in Fort Worth area. They named it 116 Bible Church. Um, Really for some of the same reasons that I will explain to you today. They wanted their church to be really... Just focused on, centered around the gospel, unified around the gospel, and the power of the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel. From a uh, with a reformed flavor, obviously we 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 hold to the sovereignty of God. So Jeff planted this church. I'm not going to go into much more history than that. And then his good friend Chuck O'Neill uh, from Portland, Oregon. Him and Jeff got together and. Uh, Chuck just encouraged Jeff, if you're going to do this, just do it the right way. Let's, uh, let's plant multiple churches with this, this whole idea of um, really emphasizing the Great Commission. Preaching sound doctrine, but putting the go back in, in go therefore. And so Chuck, who had been a pastor for 25 years almost in Oregon, uh, was pastoring a church, Beaverton Bible Church in Oregon. And they changed theirs over to 116 Bible Church a few years ago, which is where uh, the Brown family moved from Oregon. By God's providence, they were a part of that church. So there are five 116 Bible Churches. There is uh, Jeff's, in, um, and, and then also with him, Pastor uh, Sean, who you got, some of y'all have met. Ivan, who was up here about a month ago. The three elders down there. There's our church. Um, there's Chuck's church in Portland, Oregon. And then we have one in Birmingham, England, and one in Taiwan. And so they're all really emphasize preaching the gospel, preaching sound doctrine, but not just within the four walls of the church, that remembering our Lord's marching orders, that there is a world full of unbelievers and we have been called to take the gospel to them. It's really that simple. And so, yes, we do believe in the public proclamation of the gospel now i don't want to I don't want anybody here to be confused we believe as a, as a fellowship that for those who who are called by God to preach the gospel speaking to pastors primarily those who are called to preach we believe that um, if you're called to preach the gospel you should never stand against a man that wants to take the gospel outdoors because as as I'll as we'll talk about here in a few weeks, it's all throughout the Scriptures that God raised men up to preach the Word of God to the world as well as to God's people. Um, you see it in church history as well. And so, obviously, do not hear me say today that if you want to be a part of God, of 116 Bible Church, you need to be preaching the Gospel on the streets. I would never say that. Okay? But we as a church, do we do practice that because we believe that the gospel needs to be preached to sinners in, in the public forum. And so as, as, as pastors and elders, um, by God's providence, if he was to pro- provide me with another pastor or elder, which we're what we're praying for, obviously there they need to be like-mindedness in this area. Not to, not to say every pastor should be out, outdoor preaching every week, but uh, we definitely think that if you're called to preach, it should not matter whether you have a roof over your head, <laughs> uh, if that makes sense, guys. But that, that is our convictions, because we see it in, in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. We see it in church history, that the gospel needs to be preached, not just within the four walls of the church, but to, but to sinners who gather, who are perishing. Amen? That's really the that's all. Really, that's really heartbeat of it all. So many different things. Define different churches in our day. I think we can understand that. There are so many different things that define different churches. Part of giving the name 116 is that it's just a reminder that we want our church to be defined. You know? We want it to be defined. We want to be reminded that what do we what do we gather around? What do we unify around? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Above anything else. Okay? We're not We're not a perfect church, (laughs) right? Charles Spurgeon's quote, if you're looking for a perfect church, the moment you join it, you just ruin that. (laughs) So we're not a perfect church. We're not saying, don't ever hear me think that I think that, oh, we're the only good church around. That's ridiculous. There's many other good churches around. This is not a knock on other churches. Okay? uh, Don't ever think that. Don't ever think that, well, somebody leaves our church then. They just left the truth. <laughs> They're not Christians. No, not at all. So none of that nonsense. But we... Part of, part of when Jeff planted this church, because I, I spoke with him not long after he did, and he had been in a lot of churches. You could say doctrinally sound churches. But so many churches that are doctrinally sound, they... You have, you have many individuals that bring their, their pet doctrines in. And, and it causes division. Really, Jeff's mindset in planning 116 Bible Church was to avoid some of that. To avoid focusing on this secondary doctrine or this secondary doctrine and creating factions inside the church. Does that make sense? And I say this in love, guys. I say this as protecting you. I don't want those people in our church. If you look on our, um, you can even look on our website. The website is then it's in your bulletin, I think at the bottom of one of the pages. And the first page of our website, when you go to it, you can see that clearly. And the motive in wording it like that is because we want the focus to be on the gospel. Okay, it, it's it's pastoral protection. Um, so if people want to come into our church and and make things the main thing that aren't the main thing, and I've learned from experience, I will lovingly tell them this is probably not the church for you. Now, obviously, just having the title, Y116, just having that that name alone won't prevent divisions in the church, but it's a reminder to us of of why, why that is the name of our church. That we need to Guys, we get one life and it's very short as Christians. And there is one thing that unifies us all and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It should bring unity. It should give us a a clear vision of why Christ has left us here. It reminds us of why we are here as Christians. And what, what we desire our church to be centered around. The person... And the work of Jesus Christ. And that help, helps keep things grounded. And so we're going to attempt to answer that question. As a reminder to all of us in here who, who, who have discussed these things. But as a, to help anybody else one, you know, that maybe has that question. why? Because we've been asked that a lot. Why, why are you called 116? So if you have a bulletin today, I'm going to attempt to answer that question. From Romans one sixteen and verse 17, they really go together. And the first one we're going to look at is that we're not ashamed of the gospel. So, Romans 1.16 and 17, let's read the text together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. We thank You for providing Your Son for the forgiveness of sins, Lord. Without that truth, Lord, we would be hopeless. Our lives would be vanity. Meaningless. But Father, you have provided salvation. You have provided it through one source, and that is your Son. And Lord, so I pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, that your church will be encouraged and reminded of why we exist as a church. Why the universal church exists as a church. Why you have left us on earth. God, in what we desire the heartbeat of this church to be. To make your Son known to love your Son, to worship your Son, to adore your Son, and to make Him known to this world, Father. I ask that you would assist me today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So why one sixteen? Because number one, we're not ashamed of the Gospel. In Romans one sixteen, for I am not ashamed of the Gospel. We'll just stop there. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Of course, if you look at Paul's life, you can easily see that that's the truth. All the The suffering he faced, he endured. All the beatings, he endured. Obviously, he demonstrated that truth. But he says, we're not ashamed of the gospel. So the first reason, why 116? Because we're not ashamed of the gospel. You know, I think in the gospel, guys, in the truth of the gospel, in the message of the gospel, I believe God's heart is revealed in the gospel. God's heart is revealed. We're going to see in point number three that one of the reasons... In this text, it actually says it in the text, is that God's righteousness is revealed. But before we even get to that point, I believe God's heart is revealed in the gospel. John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you hear the motivation in that verse of why God sent His Son to begin with? It, love is what motivated God to send His Son into the world. God's heart is revealed in the Gospel. The reason you're saved, beloved, the reason any of us are saved is because God chose to love you. And He demonstrated that by sending His Son. You see all the truth that's packed into that one verse? A verse that even unbelievers know, right? Love is what motivated God to send His Son. His heart is revealed in the Gospel. You know, think if you're married... Has your spouse ever gotten you a gift? A gift you didn't ask for? A gift that's unexpected? Trish has done this uh, to me several times. Just just a gift. Not not something big necessarily. I didn't ask for it. But because she's motivated by love, maybe she saw something that she knew I needed or she knew that I would enjoy and she just gets it for me. When, When that happens, probably more than any other time, it reveals... A person's love for one another. You didn't have to ask them. They were just thinking of you. Motivated by love. You know what happens anytime she's done that? I want to love her in return. I want to love her in return. When somebody does that for you, your natural reaction is to love them in return. Maybe even to tell somebody about it. Look what my wife got for me. Not be ashamed of her. I don't want to tell anybody that. I'm kind of ashamed of that gift. No. In the same way, God was motivated by love to send His Son. I hope you can make the connection, guys. 1 Timothy 1.15, what does it say? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You remember that word save means deliver? He came to deliver us. He came to deliver sinners. He came to rescue sinners. That's why Christ came. It was the love of the Father that motivated Him to send His Son to rescue you. Galatians 1.4 He gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us. Do you know that's why Christ gave Himself on the cross for your sins? So that He might rescue us. So He might rescue you from this present evil age. All of these, these passages we look at was motivated by love, guys. Motivated by love. We did nothing to earn it. God did not look at us and say, oh, look, such a great people. They're so good, I need to send my son. No, it was just the opposite. He was motivated by love to send his son to rescue wretches like you and I. How ridiculous would it be, church, for for us to be ashamed of a firefighter who... Who rescued us from a burning building? That, that's just that's that's not even logical, is it? Somebody who would rescue you from death, you wouldn't be ashamed of them. But yet, why would we ever be ashamed of Jesus Christ? Who rescued us from much more than a burning building? How, how can you and I, Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How can you and I ever be ashamed of the gospel? That's the same as saying, what Paul's saying is, is, um, for I'm not ashamed of Christ. Right? To say you're ashamed of the Gospel is to say you're ashamed of Christ. How could we ever be ashamed of Christ? You know what you and I need to be ashamed of? And I've had to confess this many times to the Lord. We need to be ashamed of those times when we're ashamed of Jesus Christ. That's something you and I need to be ashamed of. And we need to confess it to God when we are No, beloved, think of the gospel. Okay? That's what we're looking at today. We are looking at why our our church and our fellowship of churches, is. what's the significance of of 116? It's 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 to take our minds back to the gospel. It's because of the gospel, beloved, that you and I are now alive spiritually. You realize that. What the Bible say about us? Dead in our sins, right? Separated from God, slaves to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. Children of wrath," Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. children of disobedience, held captive and chained to our sin. But it's because of Christ, it's because of the gospel that now we are made alive and we cry, Abba, Father! It's because of the Gospel that you and I have hope. You realize that? Amen. It's because of the Gospel and the Gospel alone that you and I have hope. We would be those who are hopeless. Those who are dead in their trespasses and sins have no hope. Beloved, which again, is why we should tell them the good news. It's because of the Gospel that you and I are forgiven. Forgiven. Wasn't that a beautiful passage we read a few weeks ago when Jesus told the paralytic young man, your sins are forgiven. Do we forget what a great thing that is that our sins are forgiven? That we can look forward to standing before a holy God, and Him not counting our sins against us, our record of sin, but because of Christ, because of the truths of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I can stand before God and we can have the assurance even now that our sins are forgiven. We may not have all the money in the bank. You may not have all the popularity in the world, but guess what? If you know Christ, your sins are forgiven. If that's not something to get excited about and to build a church around, what is? Our sins are forgiven because of the Gospel. It's because of the Gospel that you and I are rescued, not from a burning building. I don't know, obviously, all of you guys in the history of your life, maybe some of you have known somebody in your family who was rescued from a burning building. You know, our son's a firefighter, so we hear these stories. But, but think, think of it. Th- think of it. Maybe if you were rescued, or if your if your child was was rescued from a burning building, the gratitude that you would have for those workers, for that man who went in the, who in his in his in his love for mankind, his love for your child, went and risked his life. Beloved, it's because of the God, gospel that you and I are rescued not from a temporary fire, but from an eternal inferno. We're rescued. I'm rescued. It's because of the gospel that you and I have a home in heaven. Right? We have a home in heaven to look forward to. This is not our home. That's what could could give Rocky such hope and such a big smile. And had such an impact on others. Because he knew he had a home in heaven. And beloved, all these things I'm saying, we're not ashamed of these things, so we proclaim it to the world. How can we be ashamed that my sins are forgiven? I have a home in heaven. I have an inheritance because of the Gospel, beloved. You have an inheritance reserved in heaven, Peter tells you. Reserved. By who? By God. God doesn't lose any Reservations. Your inheritance is reserved. Why? Because of the truth of Jesus Christ, of who He is and what He came to do. The gospel. Because of the gospel, we are now reconciled to God. We're not enemies of God. You and I have been reconciled to God. Once in hostility towards God, hostility from God. But because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of what He did for us, we are now reconciled to God, brought into a right relationship with God. We're not ashamed of these things. How could we ever be ashamed of these things? Because of the gospel, we are now children of God. We weren't born children of God. How often do we hear that? Talking to those in the world, everybody's a child of God. No, the Bible does not teach that. It teaches we are children of darkness. We are children of wrath. We are children of the devil. But because of the Gospel, we are now children of God. No longer in darkness. No longer living a meaningless life awaiting judgment. But we are now children of the light. No longer orphans. But we have been adopted into the family of God by the grace of God. And apart from the Gospel of Jesus Christ, beloved... There is no grace. There is no saving grace apart from the Gospel. And beloved, all this, how much of this are you responsible for? None of it. We didn't do any of these things. You didn't rescue yourself. You didn't reconcile yourself to God. You didn't provide for yourself a home in heaven, an inheritance. None of these things happened but- Because of our inerrant goodness or abilities. God did all of it. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. But by His doing, His doing, but by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. By His doing. It's not by our doing. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written let him who boasts boast in the lord you hear that god accomplished our salvation from beginning to end and he did it through the person of his son jesus christ it was all of god right the prophet jonah said it i think twice in that little in that little book That salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. From election to glorification, salvation is of the Lord. And we are secure in Him. And at the heart of it all is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why 116? Why is our church called 116? Why is our fellowship of churches called 116? What's the significance of it? Point number one, we're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of the gospel. Rather, we boast in the gospel. We boast in it. We can't get enough of it. We can't get over it. How God would save a wretch like me. We boast. Listen to Paul, Galatians 6.14. He says, far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Do you hear that? The same one who wrote, we're not ashamed, says, matter of fact, not only are we not ashamed, but we boast in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because because of the gospel, because of the gospel, Paul could write these things. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the Christian is not a good man. The Christian is not a good man. He is a vile wretch who has been saved by the grace of God. Beloved, you and I, who have been saved by the grace of God, we know who we are without Christ, right? Amen? (laughs) I know who I am without Christ. And because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm no longer those things. So how can we be ashamed of the One who has delivered us from death. Motivated by love. Nothing we did. We're not ashamed of the Gospel. Secondly, why one sixteen? Point number two, because we trust in the power of the Gospel. We trust in the power of the Gospel. In verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it, the Gospel, is the power of God For salvation to everyone who believes. So, why 116? We're not ashamed of the gospel. Why 116? Because we trust in the power of the gospel. Did you know there's nothing we can add to the gospel to make it more powerful? Nothing. Your good looks, the twinkle in your eye, your smile on your face are all those things good? Yeah, God can use those things. But they don't add power to the gospel. The gospel is powerful in and of itself. And you know what this tells me? The strategy is simple. I'm a simple man. I like simple plans, and the strategy is simple. Turn over to Mark chapter four real quick. Mark four, verse 26 to 29, a little a little uh, parable that gets, I think, overlooked many times. Mark four: 26 twenty nine. And he was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, He immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. From this short little parable, beloved, we can see, just like the farmer, our job as Christians in the whole area of evangelism, you know what our job is to do? To plant the seed and go to bed. Rest. Pray. Pray. That's all you can do. You can't cause that thing to grow. Our job is to plant the seed, water the seed, and then rest. It's not my responsibility to save people. I can't do it. I can't save anybody. How many people did you save today? I didn't save anybody. I would go insane if I thought it was my responsibility to save people. I can't do any of it. We plant the seed. We see in this text in, in Mark, that that's the job of the farmer. And we also see the promise that there will be a harvest. There will be a harvest. And we, know we can take that in the spiritual realm. It's the exact same principles, church. Your job and my job is to plant the seed of the gospel in the people's hearts. And we know that there will be a harvest because Jesus, or the, or the angel, told Joseph what? Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There will be a harvest of souls. There will be. You, you, you Do you see the simplicity in this parable? When you look at it in our discussion today, beloved, the more seeds we plant, the better chance of a harvest. It's, it's pretty simple. If you don't plant any seeds, there will be no harvest. God will, God will, use, God, God will have a harvest. But you won't participate in it. We won't participate in it. The more seeds we plant, the more chances of a harvest. It's really simple. That's really the... That's really the, the when you take the truth of, of Romans 1.16 and you take this truth of the, of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it drives, it should drive everything we do. That we don't have to trust in gimmicks and tricks. You see, God is God has opened a great door of ministry to our church right now at the bus station. Why have, why have I been going there for eight and a half years almost weekly? Because I have I have preached outdoors in in many different places around this city and other cities and other states and even other countries. And it is one of the most Special places I know of. A a, a place where I mentioned, I think last week in our discussion, that that people have come up on their own and received over 2,500 Bibles. And you you think about that in our discussion today the power of the gospel, the Word of God going into people's homes, the tracts that we're able to hand out, all of the open air preaching that we do, the place is set up perfectly for it. You preach and people around a square block are just sitting out hearing the gospel. And if we really believe what Romans 1.16 is saying to us, that it is the gospel, that it is the power of God unto salvation, we should rejoice that God has given us such a great open door. We plant and we water. I mean, not just in outdoor preaching, guys, but when you're talking to your family member. When you're talking to your neighbor, when you're talking to your children, when if you have an unbelieving spouse, no matter what it is, we plant and we water, but just like in the parable, God is the one that causes the growth in the heart of the person, the soil. We can't change. We're not. We're not responsible for that realm of it. We are responsible, and we are responsible to plant and to water and to preach and to share. He has given us that commission. That's why we go door to door and graciously just hand people the flyers that we have. Yes, it has information about our church, but more importantly, it has the seeds of the gospel in that God may convert a person in this neighborhood over here who we never hear from. Maybe God saves an individual and they have a church that maybe they were... It's not about building our kingdom. It's about building His. He doesn't need us. But He desires to use us. But that's what drives the things that we do. Why 116? Because we're not ashamed. Why are we not ashamed? Well, as we discussed earlier, because... God's heart is revealed. How can we be ashamed of somebody who has demonstrated such grace and love and kindness to us, but also we're not ashamed because the Gospel is powerful. Right? That's what Paul says, if you see the flow, for I'm not ashamed of the Gospel for or because it is the power of God unto salvation. It's where we get that word dynamite from. The power of it. It's what changes lives. How can you and I be ashamed of something Something that changes lives. Our lives. Other people's lives. He said, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. For it is the power of God. That power of the Gospel. And you know, when the power of the Gospel impacts somebody's life in true, genuine Regeneration, new birth—you know it when you see it. Do you know, Amen. Paul Washer says we have a live one here. You know it when you meet somebody, whether you know their past or not, but you know, man, this person is alive. And just to hear the testimonies of what God does in people's lives through the power of the gospel—you think about Paul. He's probably the greatest example of this very thing. This dynamite power. Who was he before, right? Saul of Tarsus. And his one aim in life was to eliminate Christianity. To imprison them. To stand by while their preachers are stoned to death. On his road to Damascus. Foaming at the mouth to see these Christians silenced and put in prison. And Jesus Christ appeared to him. And in that dynamite power, the soul of Tarsus was saved. We know Him as the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary ever to live. It's the power of the Gospel blood. And and anybody who has been saved by the power of this Gospel can testify that I was blind. Right? Like the man who was blind and the Pharisees were asking, Who did this? Listen, all's I know as I was blind and now I see. And it was this man, Jesus. All's I know as I was blind. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't have a lot of background, spiritually speaking. All's I know, when I was 22 years old, I was blind and I loved my sin and I was proud of it. And then through meeting Jesus Christ, all of a sudden this book came alive to me and I now hate my sin. And I've been growing ever since. It's the power of the gospel, beloved. What's our responsibility? To proclaim it. Has God saved you? Do you desire others to be saved? That's the simple mindset of our church. We're going to have disagreements, right? We're not going to agree on every little thing. But we need to have the maturity and the grace to disagree. And like Rocky would tell me, brother, the main thing is the main thing. That will be the title of our message here in a couple weeks, part two of this. The main thing is the Gospel. We need to have the maturity as Christians to not be divided over every little thing. But I've seen it. I've been a part of it. What version of the Bible do you read? If you don't read the King James, you're less than. If you don't read this, you're less than. Or I disagree with you on, on your eschatology, so you're less than. Or this or that or whatever. I like contemporary songs only. I like hymns. We must sing psalms only. No instruments. And we're just bickering back and forth instead of unifying around this one thing and having the maturity to discuss these other things and walk in love towards one another. Why one sixteen, Beloved, it's like the farmer. We can't cause anything to grow. Right? (laughs) You can try to cause that seed to sprout But you can't do it. God does it. Right? One plants, one waters. God causes the growth. You know what this this second point brings? The the power, when we truly understand this, that it's God who has the power to save. It just brings freedom to us. It's not my responsibility to convert anybody. This is freedom to what? Just be faithful. Faithful. And leave the results with God. It's just faithful. People say, Well, well, I mean, I've literally seen Christians who stand against intentional evangelism. Why would you want to give that person a track? You may turn them away. No, when we when we understand that the power is in the gospel. I remember Kirk Cameron saying one time he was in a Restaurant, and he didn't have a tract with him, but he, he, wanted, to, he wanted to leave this, this sweet waitress that he had. Just something. And he didn't have time to talk to her. So he said, I just wrote John 3.16 on a napkin. Why? Because he understands that the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I shared this with you guys last week in our discussion. And I told you guys it was an illustration in the sermon, so here it is again. Or for anybody who wasn't here. Just this whole idea of being free Okay? The burden's not on you to convert anybody. But the confidence is in God's gospel, His saving power. That truck driver that I mentioned to you guys last week, a friend of mine in Bricktown, probably 15 years ago, he and his pastor were witnessing just one on one with people, and they talked to this guy, and this guy became very irate. So irate that he spit in the pastor's face, didn't believe a word he said. Get out of my face. So they were down there several weeks later in the same area witnessing to a group of people and they saw this guy hovering <laughs> and I could just imagine the anxiety of wondering what he was going to say this time and the guy had gone he had come down there just to look for them and to find them hopefully and he found them and he he said I just want to share with you what God has done in my life since since that conversation we had I'm a truck driver I was in my truck I was all of it obviously by God's providential hand. Changing channels and I came across a, a man preaching. His name was R.C. Sproul. And he was sharing the same things that you were sharing with me. And through that, he said, I pulled my truck over, cried out to God, He has saved me. I think the guy even said he had already started to restore his family. Some different things. But he he found this this friend of mine and his pastor to tell him that, guys. God's Word is powerful. That man had met the person of Jesus Christ through the dynamite, the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we hear stories like that. And so why not get this Gospel out to as many as possible? That's the driving desire of our church. It's really that simple. Isaiah 55.11. prophet Isaiah says, So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Same principle, right? Same truth as Romans 1.16. It's through the word of God that He will accomplish His purpose. His purposes. He has many purposes. Yes. And what we pray for is, Lord, save these sinners. It's only going to happen through His Gospel. Sometimes His purposes may be to harden the heart. That's not our business. That's God's business. Our job is to proclaim His Word. Amen? Amen. Third, why one sixteen? Because God's righteousness is revealed in the Gospel. God's righteousness is revealed in the Gospel. This is in verse 17. For in it... In the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Really, we're just going to look at that first phrase there. The righteousness of God is revealed. Beloved, there's no other way, right? The Gospel is exclusive. We looked at that last week, right? We were reminded of that last week. There's only one Gospel. It's exclusive. It excludes all other ways. It sets an opposition of false Gospels by nature. And so what we see here... In verse 17, we see the error of all false religions. We see the error of all false religions. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The error of all false religions is that they fail to understand that they need a perfect righteousness. That's what false religion... All false religions fail to understand that. They fail to understand that there is none righteous. That we can't make ourselves righteous. That we are unclean and that they need a perfect righteousness. Flip over to Romans chapter 10. Romans ten one through 4. Here, Paul, in these verses, he, he is... We see His heart's desire. That's really literally what it says in verse 1. Towards His native people Israel. We see His love for the Israelites. His love for the people. He said, brethren. Remember, He was a Pharisee. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God but not in accordance with knowledge. Verse 3 here. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. You see that? They're seeking to establish their own because they don't know about God's righteousness. They're seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Those in false religion, of course, he is speaking specifically about Judaism. This was a picture of the old garment from last week. This old garment of Judaism. This false religion that tells you that you can earn righteousness. That's what he's talking about. He said they, they don't know, they don't understand the perfect righteous standard of God, so they're just seeking to establish their own through their rituals, through their traditions. You think of the Judaizers that we discussed like last week in Galatians. They're seeking to establish their own righteous, righteousness by, by how? Through their circumcision. If you're just circumcised, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, but you must be circumcised if you truly want to be righteous. The Roman Catholic Church Many in, that, many in those, those churches, that false system, they're seeking to establish their own righteousness through baptism, through the different sacraments, the sacraments of penance, right? You just got to do a bunch of this good stuff to make up for the bad things you've done. Penance, confessing our sins to a priest, praying to Mary, all of these different things where they're seek, trying to establish righteousness before God. The Hebrew Israelites, they're seeking to establish righteousness. They say, if you just wear your fringes at the bottom of your your shirts. If you just grow your beards out. If you avoid certain foods. Seeking to establish their own righteousness. Because they don't understand the perfect righteousness of God that He requires. Those in the Mormon church are seeking to establish their own righteousness. By being baptized, but not just baptism. Baptism from somebody with priesthood authority, they say. You have to accept Joseph Smith as God's mouthpiece. Why? Because they're seeking to establish their own righteousness. Just like these Pharisees. You must be a member of an LDS church. The Jehovah's Witness. Seeking to establish their own righteousness through baptism, through repentance, through active association with the Watchtower Society. Righteous conduct. And this came out of their writings. It says, an absolute loyalty to Jehovah. Absolute loyalty. Do they have any idea what that would even mean? It, it reminds me that, 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 that language of absolute Loyalty. There was a guy at the bus station years ago. Just this whole, this whole idea of, of not understanding God's perfect standard. Not understanding God's holiness, His perfect righteousness, and what He requires. This, this guy, his name was Ray. He was a Hebrew Israelite. And I think he showed up two different times just harassing me. Just harassing me the way they do. He was by himself, but he had his big King James Bible. And he told me to turn to Matthew 19. And it was, he was asking, I think Ronnie was with me one of those days. He was asking us, how do you think a man you know, finds eternal life? He, he said, turn to Matthew 19. I knew exactly where he was having me turn. And it's, it's one, of the, one of the accounts where the, the guy comes up to Jesus hey, what good things shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments? Keep the commandments. So Ray, he just stopped right there. You see? We're supposed to keep the commandments. And he starts naming all these commandments. He gets. See, I wear my fringes. And I, I tried to explain to him the purpose of Jesus doing that. To show the young man that you can't. You can't keep them perfectly. You need a Savior. My son did. And so he kept going on Ray kept going on and on about his outward religion, and I kept asking him this question. Probably a combination of two hours, he was in front of me for two different days. Ray, have you ever lusted after a woman? He would never answer. Matter of fact, none of those guys would ever answer that question. When I used to set up in front of a whole group of them, and they'd be spouting off how, I bet you eat pork (laughs) and this and that. I said, Have you ever lusted after a woman? They never would answer. God, guys, that's God's perfect standard. What does God say in his word? For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. That's the standard. Perfection. If you're seeking to establish your own, you must be perfect. And false religion is blinded. They don't see, they don't understand that righteousness of God, that the gospel alone reveals. See, the gospel reveals that through faith alone and Christ alone, God will give us as a gift, impute to us the perfect righteousness of His Son Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's what the gospel tells us. That's what the gospel gives to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. You and I can become righteous in God's eyes when we trust in Jesus Christ alone, because we are clothed with His perfect righteousness. Amen. Anything less, and you will here depart from me. Anything less, you fall short. Anything less, you're guilty of all, like James says. You're guilty of breaking the whole thing. Anything less, you remain under the curse of the law. Galatians 3.10 The only way to escape the curse of the law is by trusting in the One who redeemed us from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13 Why one sixteen? Because the Gospel reveals our need for a perfect righteousness. What do I mean by that? Paul says in Galatians 2.21, if righteousness were through the law, right? Or through some system that we think we can keep. If righteousness were through something that we do, then Christ died in vain. No. No. Just in sending His Son, we see that we can't do it. He didn't come to die in vain. He came because righteousness is not through the law. So why 116? The Gospel reveals our need for a perfect righteousness and provides it for us through Jesus Christ. The only way. You see, when we understand this, we understand that it's the only way. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life no one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because He's the only one who provides that perfect righteousness. Through His person, through His life, through His death, and through His resurrection, righteousness is available for us by faith. There is salvation to no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You ever think of that language? You must be saved. You must be rescued to be in God's presence. And then 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul says, for there is one God. How many gods? One God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who has fulfilled all righteousness in our behalf. Okay, so we're not ashamed of the gospel that's why we ask the question why 116 because we're not ashamed of the gospel you see this these verses remind us of these truths why 116 because we trust in the power of the gospel the gospel is not my power or I'm not trusted in my power to see people saved or your past the power of the gospel Third, why 116? Because God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel. And last, why 116? Because God will save His people through the gospel. And you might say, in no other way, God will save His people by means of the gospel, by means of the gospel. Again, Matthew: 121. The angel tells Joseph, you shall name name His name Jesus. You shall give give Him the name of Jesus. Why? Because He will save His people from their sins. Do you hear the promise in that? He doesn't say, well, He might save them if they cooperate with Him. No, He says He will save His people from their sins. Romans 10, verse 17. You don't have to turn there, just one verse. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by... The Word of Christ. You see, He will save His people from their sins. Paul tells us by what means He'll do that. By the Word of Christ. By the Gospel. And so this point number four, look back up in verse 16. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Just meaning all of God's people. Jew, Gentile, black, white, rich, poor. He died for all of those who would repent and believe. Isn't that glorious? God will save His people from their their sins by means of the Gospel. Beloved, this is why we do what we do. Because of this promise here in Romans 16. Because this Gospel is powerful. He will save all those who believe. And He shows no partiality. Isn't that glorious? He doesn't show partiality. For all who believe. All who believe. The Jew first and also to the Greek. That's what I tell the Hebrew Israelites. You guys can be saved. Even Gentiles like you. And I tell them, I'm a true Jew. Paul says, who's who's true Israel? Those who believe in Jesus Christ. That's who true Israel is. That's who a true Jew is. It's those who have faith in Christ. Oh, that makes them mad. But beloved, this is why we do what we do. We talked about sermon audio last week. Our small, little church, irrelevant in the world's eyes, and these sermons have hit, have been listened to in 56 countries in almost every state. And you think about the truth of these verses, beloved. That's why we do what we do. Why do we spend hundreds of dollars purchasing Bibles and purchasing tracks and put our sermons online and share videos? Can I tell you, hopefully you already know this, it's never to promote me. It's because I believe Romans 1.16. That who knows? Maybe there will be one person in heaven who will come up and say, you know, I heard you preach down there, or you know, one of your people in your church, they gave me a tract that day. They just greeted me and gave me this little pamphlet that I wadded up, but I changed my mind and I read it. And God said, this is why we do what we do. Keep planting. Keep watering. Keep plowing. Regardless of the results you see, can I tell you that God in His grace, in His wisdom, most of the time He's not going to let us see the results because He knows we can't handle it. We'll get puffed up. Why 116 beloved, we're not ashamed. Amen? We're not ashamed of this Gospel. And I'm not saying I've never been ashamed. I have. And I have to repent. When you are ashamed, be ashamed of that and repent. But why one sixteen? Because we're not ashamed. And because of that, we're going to unashamedly proclaim His gospel. Amen? That's why we do what we do. How can I be ashamed the one who has saved me? Beloved, so many professing Christians will not open their mouth and that's something we all have to struggle with but many of those same people they are ashamed of those who do what did paul tell timothy when paul was in prison hey don't be ashamed of me don't be ashamed to associate with me how many christians have i met as i'm preaching the gospel to crowds of people Maybe at the clubs where people are lined up living in all kinds of debauchery and I have a professing Christian come up and cuss me out. So you're just going to drive these people away. Or number one, that tells me they don't understand what the Bible says. That these people aren't seeking God. That God is seeking them. But what a bad testimony to have as a Christian. To be ashamed of another Christian for wanting to tell people about Jesus Christ. May that not be us. Oh, beloved, open your mouth for Christ. Open your mouth for Christ. Open your mouth in your homes for Christ. We must proclaim this message to our families and our homes everywhere where perishing sinners gather. Oh, beloved, beware. Beware. May that not be us. Okay? It's like Chuck said when he was here. None of this is salvation by gospel proclamation. But when Jesus says this in Mark 8.38, let me turn there and read it because I want to think about it while I'm reading it. Mark 8.38. He says, For whoever is ashamed of Me and My words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. May we always be found on the side of just habitually speaking not being ashamed of Christ. Hey, that's that's a dangerous place to be. If that describes us as Christians, man, I'm just ashamed of Jesus. Be warned of that. Beware of that. Why 116? Because we trust in the power of the Gospel, and because of that, we will proclaim it. we, We trust in the sovereignty of God. This Gospel is what makes dead sinners alive. Right? Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, children of wrath, all of these things, But God, but God, you hear that? It was God who did it. It's because of God that we are in Christ. It makes, the gospel makes dead sinners alive. Y116, it reveals, listen to this guys. I want you to think about this. What we have been studying on Wednesday night for the last few years is the doctrine of God. How, basically how righteous God is. Amen. When we're done with that, we will be done soon. We're going to look at his other workbook on the the plight of man. How unrighteous man is. And then Lord Will and Carl, whenever we get done with that one, we're going to look at his book, The Glorious Gospel. And I want you to think about those three things with this statement. Y-116. It reveals how righteous God is. That's what we've been looking at. Why 116? Because it also reveals the gospel how unrighteous we are. The gospel reveals how unrighteous we are. What does the cross tell us? You are sinful. You are wrong. And you need to turn and come to Christ. That's what the the cross tells us that we're unrighteous. That's why people despise the cross. That's why the cross offends because it tells you you need a savior. What are you saying? There's something wrong with me. Yes. And the Gospel provides the only way to be made righteous. Those are the three things we're studying on Wednesday night for probably the first ten years of our church. Because it's the heart of the heart of the heart of the heart of what really matters. And because of that, we will proclaim it. Your proclamation of the gospel, beloved, may be with your children. I'm not saying you do what I do. But you do what I do in the sense of we have a message to proclaim. And you follow me as I follow Christ. And I don't do it perfectly. And I don't always do it when I should. But I seek to be an example. We proclaim this gospel. It's the only hope for unrighteous sinners. There are none righteous. If there were some that were righteous, then Christ died in vain. But there are none righteous. We unapologetically state that this is the reason our church exists. I don't apologize for that. I'm not saying we're the only good church there. I've never said that. Ever. Have I ever implied that? Ever, ever, ever. The reason I say that is because I've been accused of that. Never has that even been in my mind. But at the same time, we will not apologize. This is the reason our church exists. To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why one sixteen? Because through the proclamation of the gospel, Jesus will save His people. Precious souls will be rescued from an eternal hell. The blind will see. The filthy will be cleansed. Sinners will be forgiven. Jesus will build his church, his kingdom will advance. And probably the greatest thing of all, guys, that we'll we'll really see when we get to heaven is that Christ will be adored and worshiped. And God will be glorified because of that. Because that's the purpose behind it all. Is that his son will be worshipped. Why 116? Because it's God's main purpose. That there is a cosmos. It's His main thing in the world. The proclamation of a Son. Now hopefully we would still focus on these things regardless of the name of our church. But why? It answers the question. Why was this church called that? For this reason. Because we want to be unified around that one thing, beloved. Again, there's many things that we agree on most things we agree on, but there's always going to be some things that Christians disagree on. But can I plead with you to not make those things the main thing, but make the main thing the main thing. And that's Christ and Him crucified and our proclamation of that message. Beloved, the proclamation of His Son. His Son coming to this earth. His Son laying down His life his son rising from the dead, and that message being proclaimed to this world. Everything else should fall under this. Everything else. Don't ever think that I'm saying street preaching is the main thing. Never. It falls under the main thing. The main thing is the gospel. And is the gospel going forth? And that happens many different ways. But let me tell you this all of it is intentional. You have to be intentional. And understand God has saved me by His grace. I want to live my life regardless of wherever what else He has me doing. I want to live my life because He is worthy to make Him known to this world. Because He is worthy. Everything else falls under this, beloved. Do you believe this? Do you have that conviction? I think every Christian should have that conviction. That everything falls under this main thing. If it does, then invest your time in it. Invest your time in loving Christ and making Him known. Loving Christ and making Him known. Invest your treasure. Invest your talents, your personality in making Christ known, beloved. Time is short. Time is short on this earth. We get one life. Life is like a vapor. He has, he has commanded us to proclaim his son to this world. He promises that there will be a harvest. He promises that he will save his people. And he, out of his grace, has allowed us to be part of it. Is that not amazing? That is amazing. And so I want myself, I want you to be able to say at the end of your life, okay, Lord willing. If I get a chance to be there with you at the end of your life, I want you to be able to say, I gave it up I gave it my all in seeing Christ proclaim to as many people as possible. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the simplicity of, of the Gospel. Thank You for loving me. Lord, thank You for saving me. Thank You for saving my wife at such a young age. Lord, thank You for saving those in here, Lord. Lord, I'm not God. I don't know every heart. But Father, I I thank You, Lord, for saving Your people. I thank You for saving these dear saints. Lord, I pray that there's anybody who would listen to this. Even anybody in here who's never bowed the knee, God, then I pray, Lord, that through the proclamation of Your Word, the power of the Gospel, Lord, that You would save. That You would draw them to Yourself. That they would lay down their fight against You. And they would trust You by faith and surrender to You. God, we thank You for Your saving grace. Lord, I just pray that this would be just a refreshing reminder, God, of, um, of, Lord, just whether it's our church or any other church, as Christians, Lord, what our main focus should be. And, in that, and that is Your Son and making Him known, loving Him in our own lives, worshiping Him and making Him known to others. Father, we love You and we know that it's only because You first loved us. We thank You for Your dear Son. And we ask all this in His name. Amen.